And then Hollywood has the audacity to lecture me about anything? Are you kidding me? <laughs> hey, everybody, you are listening to Canary Cry Radio, and my name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 146, where we're in the mix rocking it like it's 1996, Basil. You remember 96? <laughs> I do remember 96. You know what happened in 96? Uh, nope. You tell me. The Atlanta Olympic Games. And remember the bombings? No, I was too young to know about any ah, of that. Yeah, that, that's some early false flag stuff no one brings up. There was a, a bombing at the uh, Olympic Village. You know, it was one of those terror things. Yeah, you know, we really don't talk a lot about the 90s. The only thing notable from the 90s, as far as the, the show is concerned, was Bill Clinton that I can think of. <laughs> and it, that that was mean, your youth? It, wait, wasn't the... Uh, uh-oh, now I'm going to get something wrong, but it wasn't the first World Trade Center bombing in the 90s? 93, I think, or 92, oh. one of those two. Woo, got it, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, that, that's that our intro good. for episode 146. <laughs> good, good intro. I like it. I like your raps. Just well, trying to, you know, change it up. Just Welcome to out. the show, everybody. Gons, remember, every show is somebody's first show. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> if this is your first time, wow, that's a... Welcome. You, you might, if you're still around, thank you. Yeah, now you remember the uh, year of the first World Trade Center bombing. And uh, also... On this show, as you may know from the title, number 146, we have good friend of the show and uh, personal hero L.A. Marzuli back on. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, the real deal. L.A., we just got to keep getting this guy back uh, because there's always something new. He's always uh, taking new trips, finding new things, revealing new mysteries of the archaeological and sort of ancient type so we like to keep up with everything he's doing. And uh, today, you guys are going to like it. I am I liked it. I'm going to like it again, listening <laughs> back. But before we do that, we just wanted to let you guys know a couple of things. First of all, now don't hit that forward switch because you got to hear about the conference coming up. Yes, hear the Watchmen in Orange County, October 10th through the 13th and it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Gons is going to be there telling us all about the, the secrets revealed. What are you speaking on, Gons? I have a title. You uh, have a title. I do. It's called Omega Indicators, Biblical Analysis of Current Events and Near Ooh. Future Predicaments for the Church. So Very nice. Near Future Predicaments. That's yeah. very good. Yeah, if I had to, I mean, that just about sums up pretty much yeah. our, <laughs> our motivation for all of our shows. Yeah. Near Future Predicaments. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be fun because I like meeting the people that actually consume the material. There's a barrier when you're behind these computer screens, but yeah. when you're in the flesh, it's a much better thing. And it's going to be buzzing in that area because... Less than five miles away is the Unbelievable Conference with Justin Briley, and that's a podcast that's been around for a long time. Justin promoted Age of Deceit really early on, and so I always remember that and appreciated that. So I just wanted to throw that out there because that's also happening less than four miles away. And that, that event is only Friday night and Saturday, which happens to be the day I'm speaking, so kind of a yeah. bummer for me. So but you're just, you're just letting everybody know what conference they'll be missing 
when yeah. we all come to see you. There you go. There you Very go. Very good. And I, I just want to mention this because for some reason, October 12th was like everyone's favorite day for a conference. Mike Heiser's having his Naked Bible Conference, I think, in Dallas, Texas. So you can look that up, too. Just want to, you know, pitch that for Mike. Uh, he made a mistake, though. He's supposed to be in Orange County. Well, I don't know yeah. why he decided to just be the odd man out <laughs> and go so, to Dallas. But uh, We're so polite around here. We, <laughs> we, we push our own conference, and then we push everybody else's conferences. So there you go. That's There's a lot going on around that time. I personally will be down in Southern California at the Hear the Watchmen conference. I will be there on the uh, 11th and 12th. And Gons, I will have the recording equipment and I will be uh, guerrilla style uh, <laughs> recording some podcasts. Maybe I'll stop by the booth and just uh, record some podcasts with whoever shows up. <laughs> I was thinking about making you into uh, the merch desk attraction by just putting you on like an elliptical or something and just, just having you just <laughs> on that the whole time. And then everyone just asks what's going on. And there well, you go. The, we have conversation. The attraction will be I'll set up the little booth. I'll bring my microphones and the recorder and I'll just do episodes. Well, I'll just have Josh Peck and everybody stop by the booth and do little, little talks with them. Perfect. And people can see it live. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. It's going to be a good I got to email Josh. Josh, if you're listening. <laughs> jo Josh, email, Josh email. knows. He'll, 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 he'll come over. Back, and, bro. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there we go. Let's get into this episode. But first, I want to remind everybody, we got the Facebook Canary Cry community. You're going to want to jump in there. It's a great place to meet other listeners just like you. This can be a lonely genre to explore, and we understand that. And that's why we started the Facebook Canary Cry community. There's over 2,000 people in there. And, you know, the thing about it is... It, it's fun for us to say there's 2,000 people, but there it could seem maybe even more lonely to have that many people in there to try to connect with somebody. But that's not how it is. It's really a, a very unique group of people who are reaching out. We're sharing uh, stories. People share stories of uh, UFO sightings or crazy experiences, or they reach out for prayer, or and people are meeting each other in their own area. The Facebook community, Canary Cry community is the place to be. Go check it out and connect with listeners just like you. Also, I jump in there every once in a while and make sure uh, everybody knows that uh, I, I laugh at their jokes and I thumbs up their uh, <laughs> their things. I, I feel like we need to, well, this is just me, you know, being out of Facebook pretty much for a while, but I feel like we need to just uh, cultivate everybody and, and give them a, a kind of an arc to jump off of Facebook at some point. We are. Well, <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, Gons. We are also <laughs> working on uh, putting together a very special community outside of Facebook. I'm not going to give too many details now, but when yeah. that is available, I will let everybody know because, uh, you know, that's the biggest thing. I'm always telling people to go to Facebook and I don't like it. You don't like it. Nobody likes it, but it's what <laughs> we got. But we are in the works putting together a community outside of Facebook so we don't have to uh, sell our souls to get together. And um, take the Mark Buck. The Mark Zuckerberg. Zuck Buck. Of the beast. Yep. 
Okay, moving on, because I want to get to the interview or to the conversation. Yeah. Thank you. I made a call. I made a very earnest call for people to give us iTunes reviews. That helps the show more than I can explain in a in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes and all the places that you listen to the show pops us up in those rankings, Gons. And I got our ranking email for the other uh, week, and we popped up a few hundred spots. Um, nice. I, don't have it in front of me, but we were up to like number 222 in Canada. So wow. Canada listeners, Thank you, you guys Canada. rule. <laughs> yeah. Eh? They love us up in Canada. Hey. Yeah. And uh, we bumped up all over the world, um, but Canada, you guys, uh, you had the <laughs> biggest bump. So thank you very much. So if you have not done it yet, you can head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to us, leave a rating. That's the stars, one through five stars. Go ahead and just leave five stars. And then uh, the review is a bunch of words telling people why you love the show. And then just go on through all the other ones, read them. They're, they're funny, they're heartwarming. And, uh, you know, give thumbs up to everybody else's review. It helps a lot to share the show and um, all sorts of other fun stuff. So make sure to do that. And if you enjoy this show and you want the show to continue, this is the big one now. You can head over to patreon.com slash canarycryradio. Pledge a little monthly gift to help the show keep going. For the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can help... Some uh, podcasters feed their cats and keep their children alive. And that means a lot. Not only that, but it's very heartwarming. Gives us the warm and fuzzies when we see new people jump on and support the show. So if you want to see Canary Cry Radio keep going, uh, that's the way to do it. If you have noticed, we've been putting out episodes pretty often recently. And that's because people have been uh, helping out over on the Patreon. Now, if you don't like Patreon, that's totally cool. Go to canarycryradio.com slash support, and you can sign up directly on our website. You can uh, sign up for monthly amounts in different sizes, or if commitment's not your thing, you can just give one-time donations. Really, guys, it's what has kept this show going for uh, going on eight years now, um, has been the generous... Uh, donations and gifts from listeners just like you. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't know if I find some time or if I think about it, I'll jump on there. Just do it now. Jump on, make a commitment and help us keep the show going because um, it's people pulling the trigger on that. That is what keeps this show a rolling, baby. And like you, like I said, I'm, <laughs> I see how proud I get when we put out three episodes <laughs> in three weeks. Don't you want me to feel this productive forever? <laughs> Help us out. Head over to patreon.com slash canarycryradio or canarycryradio.com slash support. Thank you so, so much. And right after we record this intro, Gons and I are going to go record a bonus episode. So there's going to be more and more bonus episodes over there every single week so you can have more of what you crave. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think that's about it, Gons. What do you think? Oh, um, just to mention it, because sometimes it is people's first show. Every show is somebody's first show. We have a Twitch channel. 
You can go to twitch.tv or twitch.com, search Canary Cry Radio, follow our channel. We are getting very stoked. The reason we have not started recording since I mentioned this is because I am doing an overhaul on my office to make it more reasonable. (laughs) Yeah, make it more reasonable for me to uh, explore virtual reality. We're going to be exploring virtual reality, the games available to kids for virtual reality. We're going to be deconstructing the games, how they fit into our near coming future and the messaging and propaganda that is inside of them. So if you like games, if you have kids or no kids who like games or adults, if you have a 30 year old living in your basement who (laughs) likes to play video games, you're going to want to hit up our Twitch channel. It's going to mm-hmm. be cool, too, because I'm going to get to be kind of your command center. You are, Your little yes. HQ, you know, looking up information and trying to verify stuff or help you out in any way that uh, I can. Although, when you go down some kind of abyss and I can't, I can't do anything about it. No, you, Gons, is, I'm going to be in virtual reality fighting the robots, getting brainwashed by the elite. But I'm going to have Gons <laughs> there on the line to pull me out when I get too deep. Take okay? it off. We've had a lot of people very concerned about my involvement in virtual reality. We're doing this for you, and we're taking lots of uh, safety precautions. Gons is there to pull me out when I go too deep. And if you want to watch that happen, head over to (laughs) twitch.tv or twitch.com. Search Canary Cry Radio. It takes a second. You just make a quick little account and follow our channel This is very exciting and fun. You're not going to want to miss it. And we've been building the anticipation for our first live stream because we've been... (laughs) For about a year. About a year. Twitch, uh, promoting Twitch and not doing anything on it. This is going to be the greatest unleashing. It's going to be, yes, it's going to be quite the uh, the apex of uh, hype buildup. So (laughs) please go do that. You're going to love it. Okay. Any last words, Gons? Canary Cry News Talk, TJT, Face Like the Sun. Go get it. We'll talk more about that in the outro, but now is the time. Strap yourself in because we are in for a nice session with L.A. Marzulli exploring the Serpent Mound. Pleasant Hill, Ohio, 1848. The Smithsonian Institute surveys a 1,350-foot-long, three-foot-high effigy mound built in the shape of a coiling serpent. Like the lines and geoglyphs of Nazca, this reptilian motif, known as the The serpent mound, can only be seen from high above the earth. According to historians and anthropologists, an indigenous Native American culture called the Fort Ancient People built the mounds nearly 1,000 years ago. If so, why? Could the Serpent Mound be a marker where extraterrestrial beings mined iridium as an energy source? This is Canary Cry Radio. The story of Lucifer has been one that entertainment media has been glorifying for some time, but... As more followers of Jesus Christ expose the true agenda, the more it seems the occult elite feel licensed to externalize the worship of Lucifer more openly. 
as of this recording, a video by Billie Eilish, All the Good Girls Go to Hell, is trending on Twitter with nearly 22 million views in just two and a half days. The video begins with a woman who is stabbed by several syringes in her back, which causes her to grow angel wings. She is shown thrust down to the earth into a pool of black goo, which uh, I believe is oil, maybe. The lyrics as she emerges starts with My Lucifer Lonely, and later, pearly gates look more like a picket fence. Once you get inside him, got friends but can't invite him. Hills burn in California. My turn to ignore ya. Don't say I didn't warn ya. Our guest today has been responsible for exposing the true spiritual message behind lyrics like these. We're excited to bring back multiple-time Canary Cry Radio guest L.A. Marzuli. L.A., welcome back. <laughs> Hey, Gonson Basil, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you on every time. And why don't you tell us about your new project? Well, um, the series is called On the Trail of a Nephilim. And we've got hundreds of hours of, of footage. And that's, that's you know, not a, an overstatement either. Um, we, we were in Europe for like 24 days <clears throat> this year and also last year. And uh, we filmed and filmed and filmed. We went to different places in America and filmed and filmed and filmed. And so we've got lots and lots of raw footage. And the reason why we're doing this, there is a hidden history, which is in plain sight. Um, the mounds in Ohio, the mounds down uh, all the way down the Mississippi Valley, down to the Gulf, um, they're everywhere. And the same, we see the same exact type thing over in England. And when I was just there, um, in July uh, at a place called Amesbury, <laughs> looking at this gigantic mound, which is extremely, um, it looked exactly like Newark, Ohio, except the moat was like 30 feet deep and was made out of chalk. And, and the question is, how do ancient people cut the chalk and move the chalk? I mean, it's the same old thing. So it's, <laughs> there's a mound there called Silsbury Hill. And, and I, I'm in front of that. And I look at the camera and go, am I in Ohio? or somewhere else, because you can't tell. The mound is almost identical to what we would call an Adena mound that we see in Ohio and elsewhere. So something else is going on. And there's a narrative which is sacrosanct amongst archeologists and anthropologists that hold tenure at universities uh, and, and teach these subjects to, as Rush Limbaugh would say, young skulls full of mush. And so when they come out of four years or six years or eight years, they hold and tow the party line. There's no, no doubt about that. And they parrot what they have learned in school. Well, wow. thank God in some ways I did not go that route and, and become an archaeologist or anthropologist. I work with them. Uh, Rick Woodward is our, our team's anthropologist. He's also an archaeologist. Mondo Gonzalez is an archaeologist on our team. Dr. Michael Alde is an MD. And Dr. Malcolm Warren is a uh, um, also an MD, but a chiropractor. And and these guys have examined these elongated skulls, let's say, which will be the fourth episode. We're going to get into the whole DNA and what really happened and and how it how it started from 2013 to the present day, um, because we we need to get ahead out or get out ahead of what some other people are saying that that it's their discovery and you know they were the ones that did the DNA and. And all this stuff, and it's just not true. And we spent tens of thousands of dollars. So I hadn't planned on doing this 
till maybe film episode number eight or nine, and that's been reworked in, in the order of things. And that's I'm actually in the in the edit booth now, um, and I'm I'm in post production with it. Richard Shaw before he passed away sent me two terabytes of film. <laughs> Lucky me. And I've gone over. I mean, I've skimmed it through it, some of it very quickly, but there's a lot there. And we're not going to. It's not going to be like a three-hour anthology, but it will be to show the progression between 2013 and the present day. Look, all this, all this stuff is connected. The elongated skulls and Paracas, which they insist, and you'll notice just recently, Drudge Report had this thing on um, elongated skulls, and every now and then it, it pops up in the news, and it's always the same thing. All oh, these people were cradle headboarded, yada yada yada. Well, how do how do they know that? They don't know that. They're just guessing. They're parroting what they learned in school. That's what they were taught in school, so that's what they're parroting. Meanwhile, our our uh, anthropologist, and this is his discovery, Rick Woodward, turned the skulls upside down and looked at the base of a skull and said, wait a minute, the foramen magnum, which is the hole where the spinal column comes up and attaches itself to the brain, um, is in a totally different place and a different size. And you cannot push the rear plate of a child's head back towards the foramen magnum. In other words, this is genetic. Right. This is this is a whole different deal. And see, it's funny, the, the, the naysayers, and I won't mention them or give them credit, they attack our DNA. Oh, well, it's contaminated. Well, if it's contaminated, why didn't we get nuclear DNA then? If, if it's such contamination, why has nuclear DNA been so elusive? The fact is it wasn't contaminated. And, and the reason why they, they chime in and say that is because they don't like the result, including the archaeologist Ruben Soto. And because he threw me under the bus, I'll sort of throw him under the bus. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he won't have anything to do with this now because he didn't like the results. And the last time I saw him in Peru several months ago, I was with the director of the Inca Museum. He goes, oh, it's all contaminated. It was all contaminated. Went all around the world and people contaminated. Not true. The the chain of custody was was done by Chase Klotzig, and she did a very stellar job making sure everything was sealed up. Uh, we were in full body suits uh, from head to toe, double gloves. We sprayed each other between every testing that we did. We took 58 samples. Out of the 58 samples, 28 of them sequenced, most of those from Senior Juan's Museum. Out of the 28 that were sequenced, many of them pointed to a Middle East or Eastern European or European origin that rewrites history. People don't like that. Because, well, it's not Peruvian. These people were from Peru. No, they weren't. They weren't from Peru. They were from the Middle East and Eastern Europe and the Baltic Sea area. So this is what we're up against, just like in our film. And this is why we're on the trail, because the Paracas people may be one of the Nephilim tribes. And what's interesting is the Anakim translates long neck. And the more I get into this, the more I see that in the Levant, during the conquest of Joshua and Caleb, there are different tribes in the Levant, the Zanzumim, the Emim, the Nephilim, the Anakim, the Raphaim. These names may denote different genetic uh, appearances. Anakim means long necks. And what was interesting is Marsha Moore, who had no idea of the Anakim, none, absolutely none, never heard the word before except on Star Wars, Anakim Skywalker, okay? So she she's looking at the position of the foramen magnum, that brain, brain hole, at the base of the skull, and she's going, because she's like a forensic artist, and she goes, you know, for this person to have walked and functioned, they had to have a longer neck. So she sends me a picture, and the neck is really elongated. And I write her back and I say, Marcia, um, are you aware? Do you know what the Anakim is? And it blew her out of the water. It blew me out of the water. So is there a correlation between the mound builders and the Paracas? 
we think and our hypothesis has always been that during the conquest of Canaan by Joshua and Caleb, these tribes that were there, which I just mentioned, fled the area. Some went northward uh, into Europe, and we see the vestiges of that. They also came into the Americas. The copper trade uh, was very vibrant. Uh, Fritz Zimmerman, who's uh, collaborated on, on three of the films so far, uh, he didn't go to Europe with us because of some health issues, but he collaborated on the first three films. Um, Fritz believes, as I do, that what we're looking at is the vestiges of the Amorites. Let me let me tell you something here, guys. And if there are listeners who are out there who are astronomers or amateur astronomers, please get a hold of me at la at lamarzuli.net. So here's the greatest mystery to me, that the Octagon Mound, which is about 50 acres, 50 acres. Got that? You know what 50 acres looks like? That's how big the octagon mound is. And you can only really see it from the air. I've been in it twice. When you're there on the ground looking at it, you have no idea what shape it is. But you fly a drone 800 feet up, you start to get a feel just how big this thing is. And even at 800 feet, I couldn't get the whole thing. I had to move the camera from left to right to left. So it's an irregular octagon. We are looking at advanced mathematics, trigonometry, and here's the rub. These mounds, the, the, great, the great Circle Mound, the Octagon Mound Complex in, in Ohio, Newark, Ohio, the uh, America Stonehenge, and other places, including the Serpent Mound in Ohio, are built, and by the way, America Stonehenge is in New Hampshire, are built on an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle. This is where any of you listening and can give me insight into this, please e email me, la at lamarzuli.net. How does one, three, 5,000 years ago, get up in the morning, look at the moon, and go, you know, guys, the moon's doing something, we need to track it. And they have no idea how long the lunar cycle is. None, okay? So they're just, they wake up because no one's ever told them. And they look at the moon, and they track the moon. It waxes and it wanes. Maybe they put some sticks in the ground. I don't know what they do. But how would they know where they're year four, year two, year 12, year nine, get where I'm going with this, in the cycle? They wouldn't know. And how would they record the data? And how would they crunch the data to know, oh, wait, we saw this eight years ago. We must be, or you know, eight, 18 and a half years ago. So now we know it's an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. Wow. But what happens if it rains for three or four days and you can't see the moon? See where I'm going with this? Mm. And it, this is like, I can't get an answer from anybody. Nobody mm. knows. Well, the book of Enoch, which as Christians, you know, we don't believe it's part of our canon. Okay, I get that. But we can certainly appreciate its historicity. The book of Enoch tells us and I quote that one of the fallen angels, the original 200 watcher angels that descended on Mount Hermon in the days of Jared, one of the 200 watcher angels was named Sariel, who showed the humans, that's us, the lunar calendar. Right. That's what they showed us. They showed us the procession of the moon and the lunar, and the lunar calendar. In other words, the information was handed to us. Right. And that's what right. I think happened three to 5,000 years ago. So all yeah. this is in, embedded in the films. Okay. Well, that is uh, an excellent overview of, uh, of what you're going to be covering in these films. And real quick, just in case we lost anybody, 
I wanted to go back real quick to the mounds since they are such a focus of the uh, the upcoming films. For those who may not know a whole lot about the mounds or what they are or where they are or, well, why they are is one of the bigger questions. Um, for somebody who may not have heard about this, what are the mounds, where are they, and why are they so peculiar? Well, they, they go up from a northern part uh, of the Americas, even into southern Canada, and all the way down following the Mississippi, for the most part, uh, to the Gulf of Mexico. The largest mound is in Cahokia, right outside St. Louis. I've been there, and it's mind-boggling. And they will tell us that Cahokia took 300 years to build, but there was some soil work done on it fairly recently, and this person said, no, it wasn't. It was built in less than 20 years. So now they're, now, they're, yeah, now they're not even sure about that. They changed. They're so sure. This is what drives me nuts. They're so sure about themselves. And when you challenge their view, you get scoffed at, laughed at, yelled at, removed from the museum or the site. I mean, all these different things. It's just incredible just for challenging the view. So right. that's that's roughly 450,000 tons of earth. So you say, well, L.A., I don't know what 450,000 tons of earth look like, okay? Hold that number. There's another mound that, that's down in Louisiana where we photographed and filmed extensively there with Rick Woodward. Um, it's called Poverty Point. Now, these names were not, were not, in other words, no one knows what the people who built them actually called them. Poverty Point's older than Cahokia. It's upwards of 5,000 years old. It's probably one of the oldest mounds. It's got advanced trigonometry, advanced mathematic, knowledge of the precession, knowledge of, of, of the lunar um, calendar. All this stuff is embedded in the mound, okay? 390,000 tons of Earth. But wait, it gets better. There's a site up in Ohio. It's called Fort Ancient. Again, it's, it's a name that people just gave it. No one knows who built it. No one knows what they called it. No one even knows what the people who built it called themselves. But they'll make up a whole story. Oh, it's the Adena. It's the Hopewell people. They just make up names. Hopewell was a freaking farmer who found some <laughs> artifacts. So they named this entire culture after Hopewell. This is how absurd the whole thing gets. Right. Fort Ancient. Fort Ancient has three and a half miles of walls with, I believe, 66 gates. When we were there on the spring equinox, okay, Peggy, my wifey, took out her sky chart and, and pointed it at the gate. Above the gate was the constellation, the Serpent Hydra. That, my friends, is absolutely deliberate. Who is the prince of the power of the air and who is the serpent? And all this stuff, all these sites have embedded serpent iconography. We believe that there are 66 gates, 66 gates in Fort Ancient. And when you're there, when I got out of the car, I looked at Fritz and I went, oh, my gosh. Oh, I, I, I was speechless. I mean, I just sat there and stared at it in utter disbelief. And they haven't, you know, the thing is three and a half miles of continuous walls creating a very irregular shape on this high place. And it's not a burial and it's not a fort. If you were to deconstruct that dirt, okay, deconstruct Fort Ancient, you would get end-to-end -end 200 miles of dump trucks, end-to-end, end-to-end, bumper-to-bumper, wow. 200 miles of dump trucks. And we're supposed to believe that Native Americans took primitive flint hose, deer antlers, pointed sticks, 
and move the dirt one basket at a time. No one ever talks about the compaction. No one ever talks about the fact that some of this dirt comes from a mile away. And when I when I press archaeologists on them, I get, well, they use dogs. So let me get this straight. A hunter-gatherer culture, which, you know, basically are hunter-gatherers, there are there is no refrigeration. They're living hand in mouth. Yeah, you can smoke fish. I get that. You can make jerky. I get that. But the winter months are cold and game is scarce. And the ground freezes. So you have a window of time in which to construct mounds. So how's this done now? And there are thousands of mounds all over the country. There are 10,000 mounds alone in Ohio. Wow. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. But and these, they insist that Hopewell built them. Yeah, so the official story is that these mounds are, what, burial mounds for Native Americans? Some are burial. Some are um, they use for, for markings. Um, and ceremonial purposes, ritualistic purposes, we maintain that these are Nephilim Nephilim sites. It's yeah. fallen angel technology, Nephilim architecture. When you go to the serpent mound, it's the largest serpent uh, iconography on the planet. On the planet. Mm. And the undulations of the serpent, once again, point out the equinoxes, the solstices, and everything else. It's also based on an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle. The serpent is in the act of doing something with its mouth. The mouth is wide open. In front of him, in front of a serpent, is what appears to be an egg. New Agers will tell us the serpent denotes wisdom, and the serpent is giving birth to the egg so mankind can have knowledge. We say nonsense. The serpent hails back to Genesis 3.15 where Jesus is in the garden with Adam and Eve, who just blew it, and the serpent, the dragon, is over there too. And he looks at the serpent and says, your seed, your offspring, will be enmity at war with the offspring, the seed of the woman. He, Messiah, will come and crush your head, you will bruise his heel. That sets up the rest of the biblical prophetic narrative. That serpent, if we are right, if we are right, that serpent is in the act of swallowing, destroying the egg. Hmm. And you can only see this when you're up with the drone a couple of hundred feet. When you're down in there, it's very hard to see what you're looking at. They've even built like, a, I think it's a two and a half story tower where you can kind of get a glimpse of what you're looking at. But when you fly the drone above it, it is unbelievable. Who is the prince of the power of the air? And that serpent iconography, we believe, was built thousands of years ago by the Nephilim, the giants that were there. And here's something else which we really find interesting, that when we were there last, there's new signage. This is unbelievable. New signage. The Shawnee built it. The Shawnee constructed the serpent mound. Well, Chief Joseph comes on the record in, in all three of the series, all three of the films. And Chief Joseph is a First Nation person. He's a, a peace chief from the Tiano tribe. Uh, and, uh, in fact, we'll be doing some filming with the chief in the up-and-coming months. I can't wait for that. But uh, chief, the chief, uh, Joseph, tells us, and he pointed me to the article, where Chief Wallace of the Shawnee, get this now, stated on the record that they did not build the Serpent Mound, that the Shawnee people did not build the Serpent Mound. And Chief Joseph, on camera, you can see he starts to fume. He's angry. Because he's saying, well, this isn't just a bunch of white settlers, you know, 200 years ago telling us what we did or what we didn't do. 
this is a bunch of white sellers, and he sort of laughs, you know, 20 or 30 years ago or, or, or sooner or closer to where we are in the timeline, telling us what we're looking at. And it's a great injustice, and it is a great injustice. When the chief of the Shawnee state on the record that they, the Shawnee, did not build the serpent mound, and these white anthropologists come in and say, no, 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 you did build the serpent mound. If someone like me says, hey, wait a minute, guys, the Shawnees say that they didn't do it. Well, Marzulli, you're a racist. Really? Mm. Who's the racist now? Who's the, Because you're not believing what the Shawnee chief is telling you. You right. disregard what she says. Who's the racist? Who's the real racist here? You guys have an agenda. You have an agenda, and you and you offer no explanation. How was the serpent mound made? How was it constructed? And some people believe that there was mica. Who's the shiny one? Who was the nakash? Mm. There was mica all along the undulating body. So that must have been incredibly impressive thousands of years ago. Yeah, wow. Uh, now, when it comes to these mounds, you know, the, the presupposition that these were burial mounds, I mean, wouldn't it just be kind of easy to do some sort of X-ray or seismic uh, uh, something or other scan and see if there's bodies or skeletons in there? What's the what's the basis of their their studies? Well, there's a couple of things here. We think that Native Americans used some of these sites as uh, second burials. In other words, the mounds were there and they buried their dead on near the top of the mound. We get that. Mm. But some of the older mounds, like let's say when you go to Graves Creek Mound, which we've been to several times, that's in the film. And they talk about giants that were found there. But of course, the official narrative is there were no giants that were found there. Well, when we're coming out of the museum, this is in uh, Mathematical Mysteries of the Mound Builders, the second, the second film in the series, we find a lithograph on the wall. Okay? And you gotta, what you have to understand is the museum was originally built into the mound. And what they discovered was the dirt was compacted so tightly they didn't need, to, they didn't need any bracing. Mm. And they had the skeleton on display that was, it looks like it's a nine-footer to me. It's in the film. You be the judge. And it's in a lithograph. We tried to trace down where the lithograph was published and has so far been unsuccessful. The, the, trail, the trail with this stuff, guys, you know, you're looking at 100, 150 years ago. It, it gets very, very cold when you try to find things. But it blows out completely the idea that, wait a minute. You're saying there's no giants. What's this lithograph doing here? Oops, we hate when we find something that counteracts our, our argument. But we know from the Smithsonian's own record, and I have Mondo Gonzalez has been researching this, from the Bureau of Ethnicity's own records, that uh, unusually large skeletons were found in these mounds, everything from 7 feet up to 12 feet. The one I found out on Catalina was a 9-footer, essentially. Essentially a 9-footer. And this... this uh, um, uh, corroborates the archaeologist who was out there, a primitive archaeologist, Ralph Glidden, 1919 and 1921, who was employed by the Hay Museum later, that the Hay got gobbled up by the Smithsonian. But Ralph Glidden's out there digging away, and he finds a race of what he calls nine-foot giants. And lo and behold, we have a photograph of it. And mm. when I published that photograph, um, we went back to the museum, the late Richard Shaw and I, and there's the photograph blown up on the wall, except they've cut the giant out of the picture. So we photographed and filmed that, and that went viral. And I was on uh, History Channel's In Search of the Lost Giants with the Vieira brothers 
uh, talking about my work, my discovery. See, that's, that's this is what drives me nuts. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's my work. That's my discovery. I was the guy that went out to Catalina Island, searched the archives. I found the photograph. I had it analyzed. There's a bunch of knuckleheads on YouTube which take the photograph because I can't copyright the photograph, but they take it and they use it in their video and they never, they never give me a nod. They never say where it was from or even how the research, how they know it was a giant. You know, we had three people that examined that photograph and that photograph clearly shows that there's a giant there. It was just around nine feet. Um, it's not an exact measurement because it's a photograph for crying out loud. What happened to those bones? So we know that that stuff is out there. It was reported over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, it's it's a hidden history. So you say, well, why is it obfuscated, L.A.? It's obfuscated because it points back to the validity of the biblical worldview, thus a supernatural worldview, and that most of these uh, people who are archaeologists, anthropologists, not all, but many, are ardent Darwinists. I got into a, uh, not a heated exchange, but a lively exchange with, a, with an archaeologist at a museum, and I won't tell you what state it was in, but we were the only people, Peggy and I were the only people there on a Sunday morning, and we were looking at the artifacts, and he had mounds uh, on, on his, you know, in his, not in his museum, but the museum was next to a mound complex, and so I asked him, and I, we got into this whole thing, about the mounds and how it was done. And all he, all he would do is, is is spew out the party line. And when I talked to him about the advanced mathematics and the lunar procession and the fact that Native Americans didn't have surveying techniques or the, the use and the knowledge of trigonometry or of a lunar procession, how was this done? They have answers for everything. And they just if you come up with something, if they don't have an answer, they just dismiss it and dismiss you. Finally, I just looked at the guy and I said, you're a Darwinist, aren't you? You're a Darwinist. And he looked at me and said, well, yeah. And I say, so you don't believe in the supernatural, do you? He goes, well, I believe in the spiritual. I go, no, you don't believe in the supernatural. And that's, see, that's, that's the deal, because there is no God. There is no, the Bible is just a bunch of mythos that all the, all the supernatural events that we read about in the Bible really didn't happen. Let me jump to what I, I talked about on my show last night, Acceleration Radio. Um, recently, this was on the Drudge Report yesterday, that archaeologists find in Gath, the city of Goliath, they may have found Goliath's birthplace. Well, after 22 years, some knucklehead decides, well, maybe we should just dig a little further and see what's there. Okay. It's just it's just maddening. So after 22 years or 23 years, whatever, they decide to dig a little deeper. Lo and behold, they find another city. And guess what? The stones there are not head-sized stones. The stones there are six and a half feet in length. Hello. Wow. How was wow. that done? How was that done? And then the archaeologist has the audacity. This is how they spit it. Well, we found this. Maybe this is how these stories of giants came about, because of these large stones that were there. <laughs> well, it just, I mean, it's, it's just maddening. You look at that and you go, you guys really have an axe to grind, man. You have an axe to grind. So, you know, the skeletons, many of them were unearthed in the 19th century, and and um, uh, account after account after account tells us that the Smithsonian was contacted, the Smith came out, they took the bones, never heard, seen or heard of again. So that's what we're up against, guys, and we're pushing back. We're pushing back. So, man, it's crazy because 
if these things are verified, it really does validate the supernatural worldview, the, the biblical account of things, the, the fringier side, of course, of the biblical account, which long on this show, we've been talking about how these, those things seem to fit a lot better than the, uh, the kind of narratives that we receive in the, the universities there. But we're finding these skeletons, they're covering it up. Obviously, you know, it goes to show why they're compartmentalizing society, right? Why they want to continue to sure. control the information flow. And, and we're seeing that at a more uh, public level at this point. But in terms of these entities, first off, are they still around is, is my question. Are they hiding somewhere? Or at the same time, with these mounds, what do you think they were doing with these mounds? Is it where they lived? What, what was the, the purpose of building them? by these these uh these beings question one first yes they're here our work on the kandahar giant was the um that was the film that got me noticed by the deep state where i was approached and threatened i don't mind telling this publicly because in case i ever commit suicide you know that i didn't in case i ever find child porn on my computer or my iphone i didn't put it there or if one of my children go missing, you know that it was it was done by the deep state. I was threatened in those three ways by the deep state, specifically for our work on the Kandahar giant. They didn't like that. And they, the first thing he told me, what kind of car do you drive? And I said, I drive what I affectionately call my go-kart. It's a 1991 sports car. Guy goes, well, does it have a computer? I go, yeah, it does. He goes, well... You know, we, we can we can access that computer and make it so the gas pedal will stick and, uh, you know, you'll have an accident. And a month, about a month or two after that, that threat, I'm driving up the canyon, uh, um, one of the canyons in the Santa Monica Mountains. I'm doing 55, which is the speed limit, doing a little over 55. And I made this turn. And as I made the turn, uh, it's a two-lane road. And on the my right-hand side, the passenger side, about 20 feet away is a, a cliff, essentially. If you go over there, you're dead. And I heard this doink, well, something went pop, and uh, I lost control of the steering. There was no steering. And I jammed on the brakes and, and, and slid into the, into the dirt and gravel and got out. And uh, when the tow truck driver came, I showed him the serpentine belt and said, what does this look like to you? The guy just looks at me and goes, do you have any enemies? That's what he huh. said. Yeah, wow. enemies. Yeah, so that was the first one. The second one uh, was uh, he said, "Well, um, what kind of phone do you have?" I go, "I have an iPhone." Is it secure? I go, "No." Well, you know, when they arrest you, LA, they could arrest you for child porn. I was going, "You gotta be kidding me, right?" And the third one was, "How many children do you have?" I have two. He goes, "Well, you know, one could go missing and never be found again." I mean, wow. that's this is yeah, this is this. That's how they play. And I look at the guy and I said, you know, you're right. You can do all that to me. You guys have all the power. I'm just a little little worm. You guys can squish me. But here's the deal, pal. You can't do that unless the Most High God allows it. Okay? You can't, you can't do that unless the Most High God allows it. So that was our work on the giant of Kandahar. We've had people come up to us uh, since the giant of Kandahar. And what we realized, it's a different giant than what Steve Quayle talked about. Different year, different location. Different year, different location. Since then, we've had other people that were in the services come on the record. They won't, they won't give their names. You know, I know who they are, but they won't, you know, come on camera or on film. But they all know about it. They all know about it. They all talk about it. So they're there. They're, they're laying in wait. These are the Nephilim. And, and as I said earlier, um, 
in other podcasts and other shows, we don't know what we're looking at here. We don't know how old these things really are. In other words, are they 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years old? We don't know. We don't know. They, they live in caves, and they're up in Kandahar, in the Kandahar province. I had, I had one, one soldier that told me, oh, yeah, the, all the villagers up there know about it. They would leave goats outside the town, leave the goat out there, and then the goat would vanish because the giant would come in and take the goat. It was an offering. So they don't, the giant will come in and kill people. So they give him the goat. He eats the goat. So, you know, it's, it's, I realize to some people that sounds wacky. Um, I've talked to people that have seen them, and it's not wacky. It's terrifying. So that's your first question. Um, they are here. They are still roaming the earth. What was part two? Part two was basically what were the mounds used for? Why did they build them? Yeah. We, we discovered something while we were in Portugal, which I, won't, I, I can't tell you yet, um, which we were completely, utterly blown away by, completely blown away by. And uh, it's all on film. We discovered it while the cameras were rolling. But we know that the sites, there's connectivity between them. And I show this in my book, Armatrail of a Nephilim. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've talked about it numerous times, but it only scratches the surface of it. America's Stonehenge is a 4,000-year-old site. We believe it's a Phoenician site, as does uh, Dennis Stone, who owns the place and has spent his entire life researching it. And when you go to the summer solstice standing stone, where the sun sets on the summer solstice, excuse me, and you draw a line from that, from the center of their, their hinge in, in New Hampshire, out to the summer solstice standing stone on Google Earth, and you continue to draw the line. And it will go thousands of miles, and eventually you will split the center trilithon in Stonehenge, England. Hmm. What's the center trilithon? Yeah, in, in Stonehenge, England. What is that part now? I'm sorry, the, the center trilithon. Okay. Two upright pillars of stone and a cross piece, a lentil, on top. Ah. And these are megaliths. They weigh right. a, lot of, a lot of tonnage. And it splits that thing dead center. Wow. So, yeah. there's a, And you can't do this in the ancient world unless you're in the air, unless you know trigonometry, unless you can have three points on the ground and, and you know, um, and, and do it that way. You, you just, you just, there's no way to do it. And you show that to archaeologists, well, that's a really interesting coincidence, though, eh? Well, I didn't know that. There's a connectivity <laughs> because it's Nephilim architecture, fallen angel technology. I believe these sites were all connected, part of a grid system, part of a way of communication, part of a way of traveling. All that's been lost. And I think the Most High God destroyed many of these sites. Hmm. So you think there was kind of like a World Wide Web back then? I think Bingo. That's mm. exactly what it was. The enemy, in the days of Noah, there was a world wide web, but it was different than what we have now. 4,000, 5,000 years ago, the web was recreated and then destroyed. In modernity, where we are now, the web is back, and right now it's benign. But is it really? When Google can send out uh, a blast to millions and millions of people and affect the election? Is, is it really benign? Of course not. And that's what people don't understand. It's over. Um, and I, I don't want to be a, a fatalist here, but 
Um, if any of these clowns who are running for office on the Democratic side get into office, you can kiss this nation as we know it goodbye. And I mean that. All we need to do is look at the dystopia, which is becoming California. 30 years of liberal policies have completely ruined my state, our state, completely ruined it. And uh, the homeless population, the needles everywhere, the opioid crisis. And oh, by the way, we'll just let as many, many um, homeless people as possible. We'll give them free stuff, yada, 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 from over the, across the border. But God forbid if someone like Ellie Marzulli's house burns down, along with 800 and some odd people who lost their fire house in the fire, let's make it as onerous and as hard as possible to get that building permit. Now, so far, it's been nine months since the fire. And we don't have a building permit. We'll see what happens. And if, and if it becomes crazy, I will go public with it. So far, they've been fair, but it's nine months and we don't, you know, we're no closer now. We've got plans drawn. We want to rebuild. I miss it. I lived there for 40 years. That's my home. And the Lord gave that to me. And he gave me a stone, which I'm holding in my hand. It's on my desk. It's a promise stone. The Lord said, when I was there in May, he said, reach down and pick up a stone. I said, Lord, why? He said, pick up a stone. I picked up a stone from this the circle of river rock, which I had created like 39 years ago. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's your promise stone. The land is yours. The land is yours. And I just broke down and wept because I didn't expect that. And uh, we're going to rebuild. And I'm excited about it. And I love what the Lord's done with us. We're in Oklahoma, but it's culture shock in some ways. I love the people here. The, the freeways are, are, are not crowded all day. Uh, it's just great that way. The <laughs> restaurants are great. But it's, you know, I, I lived in the Santa Monica Mountains by the ocean, and I'm landlocked here about as far away from the ocean as you can get. So I miss it. And, uh, you know, we, we will rebuild and and uh, and go from there. But, you know, I digress. The, the, the bottom line is, is that, that we are looking at um, in in this country, for instance, and we just talked about you know Google affecting the election. That that's that's now that's that's what they do between Google and Facebook and YouTube. I mean, they, they can they can silence you know Christian people like you and me who have a conservative voice. I mean, I can't monetize anything on YouTube anymore. That's why we have our sponsor Jingos, right. Jingos, and this stuff really works, and they sponsor us. Thank God we have a sponsor. So, but we were completely demonetized. Everything that we did, not you know, not not suitable, not suitable, not suitable for advertisers. That's what we heard constantly. Yeah. So, you know, we are. Um, what I'm trying to say, that little detour, was to get to this. The World Wide Web is back, and right now, in some ways, it's benign. But eventually, under the Antichrist, it will be used to control everything that a person does, which is what you're already seeing in China. I mean, we're already seeing that in China. And by the way, folks, I'll digress one more time, and then we'll get back to the mound builders. You want to know why the Second Amendment is so important? Look what's going on over at Hong Kong. Yeah. Just watch what's going on over at Hong Kong. People don't have any guns. They can't fight back, can they? Can't fight back, can they? Oh, that'll never happen here, L.A. Our government would never do that. Really? Talk to the American Indians about that at Wounded Knee. Just, just, mm -hmm. just ask them what it was like when they gave up their guns. And, and what happened at Wounded Knee. Just, just ask them. And, and who did that? Okay? So, you know, don't be so stinking naive. And if you have all the gun control in the world, it's not going to stop some nutcase from getting a knife and killing people that way. Welcome right. to cons. So it's, you can't legislate. You can't legislate this stuff. It's, it's amazing how they come out with movies like, 
with the goofy clown, I forget the name of it, and it's heralded yeah. as great, great achievement, the the ultimate horror movie. Are you, really, really, this is what we're putting out, and our kids go see this slime as crap. This is what this is what we this is, and Hollywood has the audacity to lecture me about anything. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and we all feel it. Man. Preach it, brother. We all feel it. Yeah. Uh, the technology that we always talk about, especially Basil and I on Canary Cry News Talk every week, we're seeing the CRISPR and we're seeing DNA alteration yeah. stuff. And it all, you know, it's all kind of like, hey, we're doing it to help people and solve disease and all that kind of stuff. But, you yeah, know, in the back sense. of our minds, we're, we know we're kind of where this is headed. It makes sense that uh, a similar thing from the days of Enoch, you know, that some of this knowledge was handed to us again. And perhaps right. we're, you know, we're, we're sort of in the process of rebuilding all of that stuff, rebuilding uh, Babel, basically, in a sense, or, or Atlantis, if you want to call it that, before the flood. And controlling the people, that seems like, a, that seems like something that a lot of this technology is doing anyway, and, and, you know, being very invasive with tracking our behavior, all that kind of stuff. And, and you brought up China, and I actually tweeted out a, a video, somebody videotaped um, a bunch of Christian people in Hong Kong just in this town square seeing uh, I can't remember which song it was, but I'll, I'll maybe play the clip here later on. But it was amazing. It gave me chills. It was like a five second clip. And I was like, Oh my gosh, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters over there are gathering and singing, worshiping the Lord in this time. And it's just powerful we, to be able to see that it's real. It's absolutely real. And the one thing about the internet, you say it's benign. It's because we can see things like that right now. You know, we, we have the ability to kind of peer into other places of the world and, and see what's happening. But, um, you know, once those things begin to lock down, it's it's really not going to be a, a good yeah. good situation. And, and, and they control it, and it will be used to enslave every man, woman, and child on this planet, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. How, what, what do you think is uh, the timeline, without, without setting dates, of course— how long do you do you think they, or what what kind of sequence of events do you foresee with uh, rolling this stuff out? Well, I mean, let's let's kind of walk through this. Let's go back um, twenty five years ago. All right. So you know, I'm like forty five years old. I'm a student of prophecy. You know, I'm 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 looking at all this stuff. So if you were to tell me that. By the time we hit 2019, there'd be 1.5 billion, that's with a B, 1.5 billion abortions worldwide. I would have just said, how can that possibly be? That's an unprecedented fact. In all of history, that's totally unprecedented. What does 1.5 billion people look like? Start up at the North Pole and travel down to Nome, Alaska. And then wind your way down the west coast of Canada and then go over to Toronto. And then wind your way down the Mississippi and go over to California. And then head down to Mexico and Central America and go through all the countries in South America. You would not see one person. That's what 1.5 billion people looks like. Everybody, North, Central, and South America would be gone. And then wow. some would all be gone. That's 1.5 billion. That's the first thing. If you had told me 25 years ago that our Supreme Court will legislate, right, uh, judicial fiat from the bench, not the will of the people, they will just legalize uh, same-sex marriage. It will become a law of the land, and they light up the White House in rainbow colors. 
I would have said, surely the church will push back. Surely this will not become law. Surely the church will rise up and take the streets. Guess what? Right? Mm -hmm. Not a stinking thing. If you were to tell me 25 years ago that they would have drag queen story hour in, in kindergarten and first grade, drag queen story hour at the libraries, but would not allow a pastor to come in and teach these same kids about the Ten Commandments and who the God of the Bible is. In God we trust, what God are we talking about on our bills, on our currency? What, what God are we talking about? We're not talking about the Muslim God or the Chinese God or any other God but the Judeo-Christian God. And, of course, if I say that, I'm a bigot. Oh, Marzoli's a bigot. Meanwhile, it's on all of our money. It's on all of our money. And God, what God are we talking about? The God of our fathers? And it's not the, the Masonic God either. You know, I mean, I get all that. Some were Masons. But it's the God of the Judeo-Christian Bible. That's the God in whom we trust. Oh, you can't say that because if you do, you're being exclusive. So if you were to tell me that that we'd have Drag Queen Story Hour 25 years ago, I would have just been, uh, no way. If you would tell me, told me 25 years ago that we'd have a candidate like Bernie Sanders yelling and screaming about free stuff and it's going to cost, you know, the, the New Green Deal and a trillion dollars for this and $15 trillion for that and all this other stuff. And basically taking the country and turning it socialistic, I would have said that will never happen here in a capitalistic society. The fact that the schools are so dumbed down and the kids aren't taught the difference between communism, socialism, and capitalism is, is exactly it. So now all the kids, the millennials, want free stuff. Just go to my YouTube channel. Oh, hey, this stuff should be free, man. Come on now. <laughs> you know, it should be free or right. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm living at home and I'm 30 years old, but all right. So it's like, I mean, that's, that, that's what we get. I mean, how do you reason with that? You can't. Meanwhile, it costs us thousands of dollars to make a film, but, but they don't care. They just want it for free. They'll steal our stuff and put it up on YouTube. We had somebody steal the first watchers and put it up on their YouTube channel. They got like, you know, a couple of thousand hits. And we're just like, well, thank you. So I, I didn't get any money from that. The point I'm trying to make is we are rapidly approaching a point of no return, if indeed we've already crossed that Rubicon, as it were. You, you can't put this back in the bottle. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. You know, the toothpaste out of a tube. just can't do it anymore. I used to think you could fix it. I was hopeful at one period of time that the church would coalesce, that there'd be a, a movement. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing exactly the opposite of that, where we're marginalized. The church is marginalized, laughed at, scorned at, pointed at, called bigots, called homophobes, Islamophobes, xenophobes, you know, any anything like that. Uh, we're marginalized in this country. And if a Democrat gets in, um, it'll be the, the freedom of speech that we enjoy now. Well, not for conservatives, not for conservative Christians, not for guys like, you know, Gons and Basil and Marzulli. Nope. We got to silence their voices out because they're preaching hate. And that's that's where we are. So I think that, well, one more thing. This is this is the whopper, okay? If you would have told me that on Fox News, Tucker Carlson would have an F-18 pilot showing classified film, what was classified film, of an F-18, and then when asked by Tucker Carlson, well, what do you think this was, Commander Fravor? Commander Fravor said whatever it was was not of this world. That's disclosure 2017. I'll be at the Branson Conference coming up in, um, in, in Branson, Missouri next weekend, and I'll be talking about this whole disclosure thing. 
and how, once again, the church is completely asleep. Won't even deal with it. Well, it got worse. That was 2017. So from 2017 to the present day, Tucker's had a variety of people, including Nick Pope and other people, talk about the UFO disclosure. And it all goes back to the dark side. The mounds that we're talking about goes, go back. It's all fingerprints of the supernatural. It's all fingerprints of, of the dragon. That's who it is, just like all this UFO activity. So right. uh, two or three months ago, Luis Elizondo is on Tucker Carlson. This was a scripted question staged, in my opinion. Tucker goes, uh, Mr. Elizondo, before I let you go, uh, can you tell us whether the United States government has in their possession wreckage from a down UFO? Mm, Elizondo right. looked right at the camera and says, yes. Then Tucker redirects and goes, are you saying that the United States government has debris from a crash UFO? Elizondo hums and haws and makes this big, well, you know, Tucker, I really I really pay attention to my non-disclosure agreement that I've signed, and that really means <laughs> a lot to me. But uh, the short answer to that is yes. Mr. Elizondo, I don't know you, sir, but I do know this, that you can't say that if you've signed an NDA. You can't say yes or no. The, the appropriate answer would have been, I am not at, the, at this time able to confirm or deny your question. Thank you very much. That's what you say. You know, that's what you say. But he looked right at the camera and said, yes, the United States government has in their possession debris from a crashed UFO. So what are we supposed to do with this? The mm. church is asleep. You know, no one says anything. If you go to church and you say, did you see Tucker Carlson? Oh, my God. You'll get the deer in the headlights look. Oh, that's, that's, that's that gonzo guy with Canary Cross. Oh, my God. <laughs> he had Marzulli on and That guy's really out to lunch. You know, the, the problem is. The problem is, you know, it's like it's coming down and the church dithers and won't talk about it and essentially is asleep, asleep at the wheel. You know, well, you know, we're not going to delve into those subjects because we don't want to alarm our people. <laughs> Meanwhile, your kids and your grandkids are watching Ancient Aliens and God knows what else. You know, that stupid clown movie, right? That it movie. They're already they're already being poisoned by all this nonsense. And there's no response because we don't want to disturb our young. It's like, ah. <laughs> That's a perfect Thumbs response. Yeah, yeah. Ah! I always reference Revelation 13. Verse 4 talks about how they worship the dragon uh, who given authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying who's like the beast who can make war against it. But, you know, I read that and thought, well, I don't know that there's going to be open worship of the dragon. But if the dragon connecting back to the serpents and or at least the Nephilim into this genetic sort of uh, abomination of God that, that still exists to this day, it kind of makes sense. Like, hey, they're going to they're gonna really pump up the PR for, uh, for the dragon, and uh, a certain segment of the population is going to be primed to accept the aliens. Whatever, whatever package they, they present this man of sin, so to speak, that uh, is probably going to be enhanced in some way, either genetically or whatever. We, we've theorized those aspects of it, but it really comes to show, like, okay, you're looking at the tangible evidence uh, of these people or this race of beings that the Bible talked about, and and we seem to have the, this type of evidence above ground here. Guys like L.A., you got people getting threatened for talking about some of these issues. So I, I it feels like they are really just tailoring society to get ready to accept this and to actually have this open worship of the dragon, which to me, I was, even when I started looking at this, I was like, you know, it's going to be really hard for people to accept in massive quantities of people worshiping the dragon. That's, that's kind of a world that I can't really picture, but uh, yeah, look, eight years, not even a decade later. And I'm going, 
Yeah, I think it's happening, especially with uh, some of the music videos and stuff that are out there nowadays. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. You know, what astounds me, what continues to astound me is the connection between everything. I mean, you, all the types of uh, sort of fringy stuff that we we like to chat about here and a lot of people uh, on the Internet like to chat about as well. You know, the one thing that's hard to deny is how it fits all together. Yeah. And, you know, going back to these mounds, I also uh, we've talked about the rise in uh, witchcraft in America and things like that. And it would not, not surprise me to see those things become more popular. Well, in in the in the third film, Secrets of a Supernatural, which we really didn't talk about, but maybe, you know, let's let's kind of jump in with that. There's a section on the Mayan elders. The Mayan elders came up here in 2011 because they wanted to do ceremonies for the 2012 deal. So they come up here with 13 crystal skulls. They know what these sites are. They know exactly what they are. And Hunbat's man was sort of a lead shaman that came up. And uh, I have film that was taken by somebody's iPhone and was up on YouTube. It had like three, three views. And I give them credit for it in the film, but... I tried to contact them to no avail. But, um, the, you know, it shows uh, this procession of people, and then they're all chanting, and it's just alarming. It's like this, they're opening the gate, guys. That's what they're doing. They're mm -hmm. opening the gate. These are highly charged areas. And the fact that the Mayan elders singled out the Serpent Mound and the Great Circle Mound, which they also did a, uh, um, a, a ritual there. And Russ Isdar comes on the film in the film, and he says that, he talked to an archaeologist who was there um, when these guys came to the Great Circle Mound. And he said, Russ, when they were doing their ritual, you know, doing their, their prayers and chanting and all this other stuff, he said the whole place lit up. The whole place lit up. And Chief Joseph corroborates that. Um, I'm, I'm right there with it also. I mean, these guys know it was deliberate. They know exactly what they were doing, exactly what they were doing. And, they, and they, that's why they went to these sites. So um, we had another guy, Pastor Tom Olson, who used to pastor a church in Newark, Ohio, near the, the Great Circle Mound, probably five miles away from the Great Circle Mound as the crow flies. Well, when he was applying for the job, he's a Lutheran pastor, uh, the, the people that were, you know, the committee that was set up to hire him asked him, well, let me ask you something. Uh, do, do you do deliverance? And he goes, well, no, I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> so they hired him, right? And uh, he's he's there, and um, he he starts getting phone calls from his parishioners. Well, one of these people have a house which is built on the mound, and according to Pastor Tom Olson, they would they would open the door to the crawl space, and sometimes it would be a crawl space. Other times they would see a bottomless pit where they would throw objects like money or whatever down, and they would never hear it hit the bottom. Uh, Pastor Olson went into a home where a table was levitating. Another time, there were ghost wolves seen on the property. It just goes on and on and on. These are highly charged sites, highly charged sites. And this is why Henry Gruber comes on the film. And thanks, Steve Quell, for letting me use the audio from a, a um, an interview Steve did with Henry Gruber years ago. When Gruber was was doing prayer walks, he would go to these different sites that the Lord would tell him, and he would pray over them and, and reclaim the land. That's his ministry. That's what he was called to do. And uh, he was driving home, 
And he saw the signage for the great serpent man. And he said, well, I'll go take care of this. Well, the Lord had not told him to do anything like this, but he went anyway on his own strength, as it were. Uh, problem number one. And he gets there and it's about, it's snowing, lightly snowing. It's about three or four inches of snow on the ground. He's no one in the parking lot. He gets out of his van and he goes to the serpent head. And he begins to pray and, you know, does all of his thing. And he spends, you know, 20, 30 minutes there praying. And he finally comes off the serpent mound and starts walking back to the parking lot. He is hit so viscerally, so hard in his solar plexus that he just crumbles to the ground, unseen force, crumbles to the ground, laying in the snow. His knees are brought up to his, to his chest. He can't move, and he realizes it's snowing. He realizes he's going to freeze to death. He realizes he's, he's, he's slowly freezing to death. Mm. He realizes. At this point, he goes to the Lord and says, you know, Lord, you know, why? And, and he's tried up to that point. He's tried everything he can think of to break what's going on, and he can't break it. So he just finally goes to the Lord and says, Lord, why is this happening? And the Lord tells him, Henry, I didn't tell you to come here. You've been out on the road for 70 days. You're weak. Your spiritual energy is at a low. You need to go and get and get, and get get rested up. And then fast and pray. When I tell you to come back here with the team, and uh, we'll, we'll take it on from there. So the Lord released him, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And uh, Henry staggers back to his van, gets in, throws this beaver blanket over himself, turns the heater on, and basically sweats out all the cold and then drives home. Um, this stuff is real. And that's why when we, when we went in to make the film, we knew some of this, but we didn't really know what we were getting into. And I'll sort of close with this one story. Uh, this is all in the third film, Secrets of a Supernatural, Voices from the Other Side. So Fritz Zimmerman takes it to this place called Geller Hill. Geller Hill, it's the highest place in the county. It forms a perfect isosceles triangle between the Great Circle Mount and the Octagon Mount and Geller Hill. Perfect isosceles triangle. It's about a mile and a half away from each other. How do you do that in the ancient world without transits and stuff? So you can't. So the bottom line, but it's there. We feel that this site was an ancient burial ground for the giants. So we're there, and it's kind of misty, raining, can't fly a drone, can't really film. So we go into the woods. It's a woods about 50 yards away at the most. And we go into the woods, and the Nork Paranormal Group has asked to join us uh, through Fritz. And so Fritz asked me, I said, sure, you know, they can tag along. I, you know, I, don't, I don't know anything about these guys or what they're doing. So they've got these gadgets with them, and one of them is called an Autolus. Well, I didn't know what an Autolus was. I've since done research on it, and it holds about 5,000 words. And basically, it's a high-tech Ouija board is what it really is. Huh. It's necromancy, high-tech necromancy. So we go into the forest and we go in and it's not, you know, we're, we're sheltered from the, the drizzle. And this woman, Galen, turns on the obelisk and waits and we hear the word evil. And we see it on the obelisk. We film all this. So we walk down about 50 feet and it spews out another word, which. And at this point I go, okay, and this is all on film. I go, wait a minute, wait, I know, I know what this is. I know what this is. So I take authority over it right there on camera. And I say, in the name of Jesus, we forbid you to access this machine. We cancel your assignment in the name of Jesus. You will no longer have access to this. And uh, the Lord rebuke you, that type, just this type of prayer. No, no yelling or screaming, no theatrics, just, just a simple prayer to the Lord. So 
you know, the machine was on and I had her turn off the machine at that point after I was done praying. And then she, then I had her turn it back on. So we're waiting about 20 seconds. All of a sudden the word holy comes up mm. and she'd never seen this. And she was, her mouth just drops open and she just <laughs> looks left and to the right. She can't believe it, what she's seeing. Yeah. And the head of the NARC paranormal group, uh, he said the same thing. They had never seen anything like this. So they shooed me out of there because I was ruining their fun, and uh, they tried for like 45 minutes to get something, and they couldn't get anything at that point. We shut it down, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And as a believer, I have the authority, when presented with situations like this, to act in that authority, right. just like I did when we were taking out the implant in patient number 17, which once again, they hijacked our film. It's on Netflix. It's called patient 17. You can hear my voice in it, but I've never mentioned it. Meanwhile, we paid for the whole thing, but that's just how the game is played. Welcome. Welcome to the, uh, to the cutthroat world of, uh, you know, who did what fringe research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just unbelievable. So, so the machine, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. The, the, the same thing had happened with when, once I prayed, all of a sudden the, the implant that we couldn't find with the ultrasound machine for an hour and 20 minutes came into view. Right. And everybody went, oh, my gosh, what's that? Yeah. The voice box machine, it's it's the ghost box Ovilus, O-V-I-L-U-S. Yeah. I know it sounds yeah, like obelisk, but uh, but yeah, that that was pretty astonishing. And yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it's important that you uh, in the film, you clarify that. You weren't there, you know, seeking to to conjure demons or conjure the dead or anything like that. And actually, you were confronted with it. So it's a, it's a different situation. And also that I think there's commentary from somebody. It was Gary Wayne or, or somebody else that discusses how, um, you know, back in the day, it was a lot of the Christians, the believers. They, they didn't like him when they walked into uh, certain pagan areas because they would do the same thing. They would... Uh, right. use the Lord's authority and take out the, the demonic activity there. And the people weren't able to make money. I think acts 18 is it 18 or 19 talks about the woman who uh, yeah. had the, the spirit of, uh, I think it was a snake of some kind and Python Python. Yeah. And, uh, and once they rebuked it out, the, the merchants were upset because that's how they were making their money. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's all the same now. It hasn't really changed the whole, nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun, and that was the work of uh, Dr. Ken Johnson. Ken Johnson, okay. Yeah, he's the one that brings that uh, to bear. And, you know, it's just, guys, it's, this stuff is real. And, you know, I, I challenge every pastor in America should see this because we're surrounded by it, for crying out loud. Yeah. We're surrounded by this stuff. You know, every pastor in America needs to see what's going on because, you know, we've, we've already lost, for the most part, our children— this generation, you know, to to the internet, to these crazy movies that are out, to the, all the video games, um, and and to witchcraft. I mean, the the rise of witchcraft and the occult, and the reason why it's so prevalent is because guess what? They get to experience something. It's just not the same old formula that they see in church every Sunday. Will the men please come forward and uh, receive the morning offering? Meet and greet one another. You know, sing two fast songs and three slow songs. It's just like, what? <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm part of a church and I love the church, but the church needs reformation. The church needs to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and clean house and do what he does, heal people. But we're afraid of that. So in the words of Jesus, we have a form of religion, but we deny its power. But we're losing our, our kids and our grandkids 
Because, you know, why should I go there and sit for an hour and be bored out of my skull? Because he's talking about stuff that happened thousands of years ago, but nothing happens now. When I can go over Eddie's house, and, man, Eddie's got, you know, all these gadgets and stuff. When we go out ghost hunting and, wow, you know, we, we actually get something and so, something happens. And this is really cool. You tell me. Tell me where I'm going wrong. Yeah. yeah. No, that's exactly right. And, uh, yep, and you're doing a wonderful job getting the word out. Uh, and, you know, we're in this area, we're all trying our best. And one thing that we get a lot is, uh, you know, emails from listeners and messages from audience members talking about, you know, how do we take this into our church? How do I feel so alone in all this type of stuff? Everybody thinks I'm crazy, that sorts of things. And there's really a... You know, really a need to to first of all, you know, gather and find people who think the same way or who are at least have their eyes open to what's going on. And that's where, you know, the Internet, uh, thankfully, is a good starting place. Um, but I wanted to mention before we go that uh, you're going to be at the Hear the Watchmen conference coming up in October. Yeah, right, right in your backyard. I'll be in Irvine. Uh, and I will be speaking f about this film. Uh, I'm doing a special presentation. I will touch on all three films, one, two, and three. I think I have a little over an hour, and um, I'll have to rush through it. No rabbit trails, but um, you know, I just <laughs> just try to introduce the uh, the subject matter to the people out there because it's it's just it's it's relative and it's it's timely. People need to see that that what happened in antiquity is being repeated in modernity, but slightly different. Yeah. yeah. And if you, uh, if you, if you need a few hours more uh, extra to talk about some of your things, according to the, the schedule that hasn't been revised yet, I have a 13 and a half hour presentation window. So they messed up the AM and the PM. So it looks like <laughs> I have a, he'll share some of his, I'll time share my you. time with you. LA, Cause I know you can. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so everybody, I recommend you go to uh, hearthewatchman.com and uh, sign up for that. LA is going to be there. Gons is going to be there. And it's a great way to connect in person with uh, people who are have their eyes open just like you. You can talk about things uh, without offending or triggering people or getting thrown in some sort of padded cell. Um, so make sure to go ahead and do that. Gonzo? Yep. Do you have a... Uh, a code that people can get tickets. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, that's what you want me to do. If you go to hearthewatchman.com, if you purchase a ticket and use GONZ20, G-O-N-Z-2-0, I think you get $20 off a ticket. Or if you decide to live stream, you'll get 20% off. Or LA, do you have a code? Did they give you a code? Yeah. Same same thing. Same as yours. Except it says Marzuli. Marzuli20. Marzuli20. So if you want to support LA's side of it i don't i don't think you can double up on the the code but yeah you just buy two tickets or you can try yeah you can buy two <laughs> tickets you you use gons 20 for one and marzuli 20 for the other there, there you, you go. go and i will be sneaking around that conference too so if you want to meet me you can come meet me there that but, strange phone booth that's moving it, that's basil that's right so la thank you so much for coming on the show buddy before we take off i want to give you the chance if there was anything we didn't talk about or if there's something left on your heart uh, that you don't want to leave unsaid now's your chance buddy well here's the deal folks i mean it's coming down and uh this whole ufo thing which is something i'll be talking about at branson uh you can get the branson uh, conference just by going to gen six 
uh, and uh, .com, Steve Quell's site, and you can sign up for live streaming there. That's that's really cutting edge stuff because it's talking about the whole UFO phenomenon. But, uh, you know, I go what's happening now and, of course, the new series on the trail of the Nephilim. Uh, number five will be on UFOs. We've already got the film for it. So number five will be on the UFO phenomenon because we need to do that. So one, two, and three are out, and uh, you can avail yourself of those. Um, by going to our website, lamarzuli.net, lamarzuli.net, and and just uh, we got a special coming up this weekend. You buy two and get the third one for free. So get all three for twenty nine ninety nine. It's a great deal. That and is you can avail yourself of this information. Awesome. lamarzuli.net. There we go, lamarzuli.net. Check it out, everybody. Check out the conference next month. And LA, thank you so so much for your time, my friend. We're so happy to have you hey, on. Thanks, guys. Glad we oh. hooked up. Appreciate uh, it. You. See, see you in a few weeks. Well, there you go, Gons. Another one in the books with L.A. Marzuli. Those serpent mounds. We're gonna have to uh, schedule a vacation. Go check them out for ourselves. Well, we'll see about that. We'll see if uh, the Lord wills it, because you know some people have had some pretty gnarly experiences around the mound. So I know. we're gonna do that. We might have to be in some prayer, have a prayer team, that sort of thing. Oh, of course, guns. So I was having this thought, and I'm gonna put it out there to our listeners and just see what happens. I was talking. Okay. Uh, I was talking to a good friend. He's a listener of the show, and. Uh, he was mentioning how he is going or has been to places like the pyramids and uh, Stonehenge and places like that. And I was thinking, I think the coolest possible thing that we could do is put together a world tour of these locations and bring listeners with us. Maybe we could do them one at a time or just do one big world tour where we get a group of listeners together and we just lace up our boots, hit the serpent mounds, hit the pyramids, hit Stonehenge, and uh, I don't know, all the other places, the, some pyramids in South America, document the whole thing. I think this could, uh, you know, a little Canary Cry uh, travel agency slash adventure team. You know, that sounds fantastic. And I would love that. Uh-huh. The only you can thing bring I the would, baby. That's yeah, I'd have to train her up a little bit. I have a purpose to train her now. A couple more years, she'll be ready. She'll be ready, yeah. So, okay, uh, so I'm serious about this people. If there anybody out there is interested in actually going to some of these weird places and uh doing a little bit of boots on the ground research and, you know, getting to see them with our own eyes, knowing the things that we know, not just us, but our listeners too. Yeah. Um, if you're interested, even if you're not like committed, just send an email to canarycryradio at gmail.com and just let me know. I'm gauging interest in this sort of thing because, uh, you know, there's a lot of conferences. We've talked about putting on a conference or something, but I think that uh, maybe our, our place in this would be taking people over there. We could get Marzuli to come with us or meet us places we could bring uh i don't know maybe heiser would want to go with us i don't know we could figure it out man i think we could yeah helicopter heiser out of the woods yeah we'll just teleport him <laughs> um yeah okay so there you go if anybody out there thinks that would be cool send an email to canary at gmail.com 
Also, speaking of cool people, cool places, go to facebook.com, Canary Cry Community. Just search it. Go there. Get connected. Link in. Join other listeners of the show and connect with them on, I mean, people are making true friends there. They're sharing life experiences, praying for each other, telling jokes, sharing memes, all the good stuff. It's a great place to connect. You know, you can connect with, uh, you know, kind of some wacky people all over the internet. I, I truly say this in with all honesty, Canary Cry community has been a super solid community. Not a whole, I mean, the trolls are filtered out right quick and um, you got to answer a few questions to get in, but it's totally worth it. Go to facebook.com, grab Canary Cry community, join in because those are also going to be the first people to know about our new off Facebook community. It's going to be super cool. It's going to be super robust and uh, nobody wants to be on Facebook anyways. So we're, we got this new thing. It's being built currently. Some very enthusiastic people making it happen. We'll talk more about them when it's time, but get hooked in there. And we are super excited for our new off Facebook place where we don't have to take the Mark Zuckerberg of the beast. <laughs> Um, Gons will probably actually be in that community because it's not I Facebook. I have no excuses yeah, left. So if you actually want to get in contact with Gons, that's the way to do it. I see what you did. Yep, I know. I got to I gotta get the hype up somehow, Gons. And you're, <laughs> I know you're going to be there. So, yes. um, Okay, and coming up in October, we got the Hear the Watchmen conference. Gons, take it away. Hear the Watchmen. I, I, for some reason, I had the horn go off in my head, the... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> October 10th through the 13th. Go to hearthewatchmen.com, use the promo code GONS20, and you'll get 20 bucks off or 20% off, depending on whether you are watching it in the flesh or online. And I think you said you will be there the day I speak, which is Saturday the 12th. I speak in the morning, 9 a.m. Pacific. Yep, I will be there the 11th and the 12th. And uh, go to hearthewatchman.com. I am looking at the list of people there right now on the homepage. People, you are not going to want to miss it. It's in Southern California. We got Paul McGuire, Ellen Marzulli, Derek Gilbert, Russ Dizdar, Paul Begley. Never I, Have I met Paul before? Not sure. But Carl Tigrib will be there. Uh, all sorts of fun people. Gon Shimura is going to be awesome. I'm excited. Paul Begley has a, a tagline that he's been using. The, are you serious? That's him. Oh, yeah. He's been saying are that for serious? years, effectively and powerfully. And, and our good buddies, Stephen Bankars and Josh Peck will be there, among many others. Super excited. Gons, I got to say, on hearthewatchman.com, uh, you have one of the more professional uh, headshots. Well, you can thank my wife. Is and... that a recent picture? Yeah, it's recent, and wow, it's uh, it's a good. picture that my wife took on her iPhone. So, wow, impressive! Yeah. Good yeah. job, Aaron. Yeah, she she knows what she's doing. She always tells me I don't know what I'm doing with photography, which is partially true. That is probably true. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Here, are the Watchmen, October 10th through 13th in Orange County, California. Be there, be square. And I'll be uh, recording some podcast stuff there. So if you want to jump on the microphone with me. You got to find me first, but <laughs> Ooh, that's a challenge. Yeah. It's a, find it's a, Basil. Your get reward on the show. <laughs> is you can get on the show. Like um, a little treasure hunt. That's right. Speaking of treasure, Gons, 
The only way that this show continues is by listeners like you supporting it. Okay? You're there. You're sitting there. You can't believe that I'm about to talk about Patreon or financial support again. You cannot believe it. Most of you have already fast-forwarded 30 seconds, which is why I'm going to stall for 30 seconds. (laughs) Here we are. Up. don't fast-forward again. Now listen. Here's the thing. Patreon and uh, support on CanaryCryRadio.com is the reason we've been able to keep this show going for so long. And uh, the recent uptick in some financial support is the reason why we are able to commit the time and the energy and the resources into creating more episodes. We have been working hard the past month or so to uh, keep these episodes coming out more frequently. And if you want to keep that going please consider heading over to patreon.com slash canarycryradio or canarycryradio.com slash support. You can pledge some support on a monthly basis or if commitment's not your thing, just go ahead and make one a one-time gift. And um, well, let me say there's this. not much else to say. <laughs> well, no, I was, I was going to add something, which is yeah, do. that we are not beholden to advertisers. Yes. And that means that the bigger Canary Cry Radio gets, like the more people listen to it, the more leverage we're going to be able to provide in terms of having the truth continuously be on here. You know, right. there are certain podcasts where they might be telling the truth or they might be doing something biblical or whatever. But as soon as advertisers come in and they start going in a direction that the advertiser doesn't like, you're going to have you to make a decision. Beholden. You're you beholden. You're beholden. To the corporate interests of your advertisers, because if you say something they don't like, the checks stop a flowing, baby. And so you are inherently sort of led to not upset the advertisers. Gons, you and I say some upsetting things on this show, (laughs) and so do our guests. Yeah, And that is why that is not for trying. We have been approached by advertisers, including some Christian ones. But for the most part, right now, we do not, well, not right now, always, we do not believe in selling your attention, selling your trust, selling our relationship with you for our own financial gain. So that is why we don't take any corporate money. We don't take any advertiser dollars, but there is a downside, and that is we continue to be poor. (laughs) But you can change that. No, I'm just kidding. The Lord provides for us very well. Yes, Um, yes. But if you enjoy the show, if you're educated or edified or entertained, as I always say, one great way to keep the show going and show Gons and Basil that we're we're on the right track, you can head to patreon.com slash canarycryradio or canarycryradio.com slash support. And like I always say, for less than a cup of coffee, cons, coffee's expensive nowadays. That's true. For less than a cup of coffee every month, I'm not even talking per day, per month, <laughs> you can help keep this show going. You could feed that baby little samurai princess living in Gonz's house and uh, my two cats. <laughs> and, uh, and we can keep the show going and it helps us be more frequent. So if you want that, and you trust us and you enjoy what we do, please go to patreon.com slash canarycryradio or canarycryradio.com slash support and help us out. Thank you guys so much. Any last words, Gons? Canary Cry Newstock. 
Canary Cry News Talk. Theory. I, I don't know what you're doing not listening to Canary Cry News Talk. We've gotten a lot of emails the past couple weeks. I, apparently, Gons, we've been on fire the past couple weeks because uh, we've gotten a lot of kind words about the show, Canary Cry News Talk, the past couple weeks. And I got to say, I think we're on fire too. And uh, a lot of people don't want to hear more news or they don't want to you know, hear more about Trump or anything like that. Great. Good. Canary Cry News Talk is the show for you. It's a yeah. half hour show. We talk about headlines you probably didn't hear of. Things like artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, some geopolitical stuff with China and stuff going on all over the world. Picking out the propaganda, teaching you how to identify propaganda. Na identify and navigate propaganda as well as what was that term the name of your talk at the conference omega indicators omega omega indicators was was the rest uh well, I have to pull it up because it's a long title and I haven't it memorized up. it entirely it yet. Biblical analysis of current events and near future predicaments for the church near future predicaments for the church that is a really good phrase to describe Canary Cry News Talk. We are talking about near future predicaments for the church. So if you want to keep an eye on that, head over to whatever podcatcher you use, search out Canary Cry News Talk, or you could go to canarycrynewstalk.com, where we also have an aggregated list of news stories that you're going to be interested in. And again, this is not your Trump news. We get asked about that a lot. We don't do a whole lot of Trump. Yeah, we, um, we try to avoid politics altogether. It kind of shows up once in a while because they just tend to overlap yeah, sometimes. Up. But honestly, other people do like other people are better at it. I mean, uh, yeah. that's just my honest opinion. We <laughs> could talk about Trump. I think other people are better at it. So I let them do that. We're staying in our lane over here. I think people the people hear enough about Trump. They don't want to hear yeah. us talk about Trump. That's We've right. already said the word Trump too many times. Trump, 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 Trump. And uh, that's just to trigger some people. <laughs> or make some other people uh, stoked. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got all sorts of listeners of this show. Also, the Joy Spiracy Theory. You've heard about it. That's my other podcast I do. Uh, I interview... Both researchers, podcasters, authors, all the people you love. We got Mike Heiser, Derek Gilbert on there, Josh Peck's on there. Uh, I don't want to name too many names because they're all awesome. Also, not just those people, but I talk to listeners and interview listeners, and we talk about life, love, uh, everything. And uh, there's a lot of crazy stories. People are having crazy lives out there, Gons. My, my life is so boring compared to some people. Um, is that talking why you about, want to go on an adventure? Yeah. With the yeah, canary cry, yeah, totally. banner, flag, flying there's, high. There's lots of drug stories. There's lots of ghost and demon stories, supernatural stories, all sorts of stuff. And it all ends in, uh, A, how they started getting into the fringe stuff, but inevitably ends with uh, how Jesus came in and changed it all. So you guys are going to love it. Check out the joy spiracy theory. It's just conspiracy, but without the con, it's joy. The Joy Spiracy Theory, check it out. You're going to love it. Also, remember, Face Like the Sun YouTube channel, the most, number one, most <laughs> popular YouTube channel in the world. Face Like the Sun. Check it out. <laughs> it's a straight up lie. Dude, that's how most people find this show. So, <laughs> no, it's pretty good. If it wasn't for Face Like the Sun YouTube channel, I would just be another single man with two cats. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, well, hmm. 
Interesting. Mm, mm, Interesting. Mm, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. Now, any last words? No, I think that's it. Are All we, right. uh, are we going to have another episode soon? Yes, we're going to have another show. Because people are going to go to Patreon, they're going to support the show, and we're going to have one out in, in 17 minutes. All right. 17 minutes after you're done listening to this, another show will be out. So just keep your eyes peeled, baby. <laughs> A lot of promises. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Here's the thing. If you got people out there who are not woke... To the truths of what's happening in the world and how it connects to the Bible and uh, the the cosmic chess match going on. You got to grab him by the cage and shake it. Canaries in a cage. I want to shake things up, stir up some controversy, rattle a few cages. Hey, stop that. Don't ever silence me. I'm the last angry man, a crusader for the little guy. Leave the bird alone. Never. That's right, everybody. It's time to share an episode. If you like this episode or any other episode, go ahead and press the little share button. Send it to someone who needs it. And thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next week. But until then, think outside the cage. Serpent Mounds. <laughs> was, was that a snake sound? Or was that yeah, that was supposed okay. to be a snake sound. And I, I then was, you start the interview. I was, I was back and forth on that. I was like, because I, I did the same thing. Yeah. And I started it to mean... Laughing. No, it was actually the snake thing. And, but then oh, yeah. I heard you See, do it and I thought you were laughing. And I was like... No, uh, I was doing it. <laughs> We both just made snake sounds and thought we were laughing at each other. Okay, that's awkward.